Father, we just come to you, Lord. And as we are here, Lord, joined with one heart, Father, we have come for the meditation of your word. For your entrance of your word brings light. And that light itself is our life. And that light is by which, by which we walk. Especially, Lord, as the darkness increases, we need more light, not less. And all around the world, Lord, we see the darkness arising. But you have promised in your word when that comes. Your light will dawn upon your people. So, Father, we come to you. We pray, speak to us. Let your words become light and life for us. To that end, we surrender ourselves, Lord, our entire spirit, soul, and body at your feet. Be enthroned in the lives of your children. Wherever we are, whatever time zone we are, whatever nation we are in, we come to you as one body in Christ. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking at the outworking of the Holy Spirit and we are looking at the command of Jesus Christ, how we keep what he has asked us to do in his power, because as he said, without him, we can do nothing. So starting, we will go to Luke 19 and verse 13, KJV, and uh, that's where we began, right? We'll be beginning, what is the command of that noble man when he went away to a faraway country? To receive a kingdom. And this is what he said. Occupy till I come. But we cannot occupy. Unless that noble man also gives us his power. And his strength. So he shows us his ways. And he gives us his strength. Okay, That's where he is the way. And the spirit of God. His own spirit. Shows us the way. And gives us the power. So on Tuesday we will see. How we occupy we had seen. Okay, And we've been. We, we've been studying through the week and, uh, and the weeks about the ways of God and the power that is given. So we saw all that has breath, all that has breath, let it praise the Lord. And we see breath is another term that is used for the Holy Spirit, Ruah. God breathed upon them. God breathed upon us. So he himself is our life source. And God says, use that life to praise him. And this life of praise, we saw that is an incredible weapon in our battle against the powers of darkness. Because if we do not occupy, they will occupy. And you will see so many people in the kingdom of God right from the beginning. They were simple people. They did not have great, incredible, deep, knowledge about the things of the kingdom. They did not have. But they knew few of those fundamental principles of the kingdom by which the power of the kingdom was exercised. They knew those things. And you will see when they applied it, things worked in their lives. And uh, we will see with the simple principles of life. Because remember, the gospel is preached to the poor and to the foolish, the ignoble. So, they may not be able to understand the complex things which a theologian understands, but they can understand the simple things of the kingdom with which they solve complex problems. Okay? And and you will see they were very, very powerful people because they took 
those simple things of the kingdom which has incredible power. And one of the things is that to praise Him. Because to walk with God is not a complex thing. It's a very simple thing. And uh, the gospel is very simple. And Paul will say, let not the devil deceive you from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. So praise Him. God says, praise Him. Everything that has breath, praise Him. And we need to realize, the first time the word praise is used in the Bible, technically used in the Bible, it is used by a woman who's living, in so many ways, a living death in her married life. And this is how the Bible describes her life. In Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 to 35, her praise becomes a weapon. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened a womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay? Like I say, no? Like I know, I've said it before. Jacob married Leah by accident. The father set her up. In the morning he wakes up, he finds it's Leah. He's displeased. He's not happy at all. So this is a woman who's used like... Uh, a chattel by her, disposable like uh, her, uh, by her father. This is a burden. Let me get rid of her. Let me get my son-in-law drunk and then let him, let me pass this girl because they don't see the face because the bridal ceremony and all of the Middle East ceremony is like that. So, you know, used by her father and used, her body is used by the husband. Okay, husband. But you need to realize God sees what happens in the bedrooms. It's our God who sees. And he saw. He saw Jacob is having sex with Leah. But he knows she's unloved. And scripture says he opened her womb. Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord will surely look upon my affliction. Therefore my husband will love me. She's desperate for the love of her husband. And then in verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. You see, she's conceiving again and again and again and again. What does that mean? Her husband is having his intimate with her without intimacy. Again and again. But she also realized she's unloved. He has therefore given me this son. She called him Simeon. Again, verse 34 says, she conceived again. And bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. Nothing is changing Jacob's mind or heart. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Okay, so that's the first time you have this word praise used in the Bible. Is a woman who tried everything to win the heart of her husband and realizes he, he has eyes only for Rachel. Turns her eyes to God. And he realized there is somebody who loves her. Somebody who loves her, who doesn't look at her eyes, her eyes are crooked. No, we say, no, she has crooked eyes. She's not pretty and delicate like Rachel. No, but she realizes that God doesn't look at the outward and he loves her. And so therefore she names her son Trace, that is Judah. And out of Judah will come, will come Christ Jesus. So please remember, 
these are all fundamental lessons we have to see. Even if we teach the people in the church, the simple people in the church, everybody doesn't have to be a theologian. Everybody doesn't have to do apologetics. There are fundamental basics of the walk with God we need to learn. One of the fundamental basics, powerful basics, which any simple child of God can appropriate, practice, it becomes life and occupy, is that you praise God through all your situations. All your situations. Okay, You will see half of Israel was birthed by Rachel. Sorry, by Leah. She bore six children, if I'm right. Forget her concubine. She herself bore six and a daughter, if I'm right, right? Yeah, so she bore six kids. Half of Israel was born by a woman who was unloved by Israel. But God loved her. Okay, God loved her. And God chose her son through whom his son would come. And till today he's called the Lion of Judah. Okay, so this is, this is revelation. Oh, Roshan is here. I thought I had released you to your wife. Shame on you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I announced it publicly, Roshan, that I released. At least, Abby, I see that he has shaved and he's looking, he's shining. Okay, that is your birthday gift. Okay, Dabby? Okay. I told you this is a family. We love you. Okay. So now, the second weapon we will look at is prayer. Okay. Phrase, prayer. And it's something interesting if you look at Romans 8, 26 to 27. I know we have seen it over and over again, but we need to go back to it over and over again. 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What that? What does that mean? The Spirit prays for us through us. That's an incredible revelation if you understand. You know what? The Holy Spirit is a person who prays. The Holy Spirit is a person that is a the Holy Spirit is a person who prays. It's an incredible because our great let's be honest about it. Our greatest area, great area, weakest area is our prayer life. On an average, if you look at a believer, his weakest area is his prayer life. He suddenly realized Spirit which that birthed us, the spirit by which we are called to be filled is a praying spirit. Okay. For me, all these revelations of the Holy Spirit are intimately connected with the life of Jesus Christ, which he lived on earth. Because Jesus Christ is the firstborn of God's new creation. So if you ask who is the first to be born of the Spirit? It was Jesus Christ. So who was the first to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It was Jesus Christ. Because he is the firstborn and we all come after that, of that same line. Who was the first to speak in tongues? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Please remember this. He is the first. It's not written in the Bible, but this is revelation. Because he also prayed with groans that could not be uttered. He was the first because what he is, is what we are following. That's why he said we are not even following the baptism of John. We are following the baptism of Jesus Christ. They had to be baptized for the forgiveness of, of their sins. We are baptized 
after we are forgiven and we have been red born again. So it is the baptism of righteousness. So we follow him. We don't follow the old covenant pattern. That was to point us to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the way. Okay, so who was the first to speak in tongues? It was Jesus Christ. Who was the one who was to exercise that language in his prayer life? It was Jesus Christ. Who was the first to cast out demons? Jesus Christ. That's why we cast out demons. Who was the first to successfully put to death the works of the flesh through the spirit? Jesus Christ. He's the pattern. So he's the way and he is the life. Can you ask uh, Sammy to increase the bass? Okay, otherwise it sounds very sharp in the recording. Okay? So his entire life, his entire prayer life was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's an incredible weight of our shoulders. Meaning, my Lord and my Savior, when he came on the flesh, did not have to depend upon himself to pray. He prayed in the Spirit and through the Spirit. And here it says, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Meaning, he prays for us. And then it shows us, he prays through us. And then in verse 21, says, he prays for us according to the will of God. He's the only one who knows the will of God. The perfect will of God he knows. So he prays for us, he prays through us, and he prays according to the will of God. Awesome, no? So imagine what a waste of time it is to pray without the Holy Spirit. Without asking the Holy Spirit, come Lord, I surrender myself, my body, my mind to Lord, and I pray Lord, and as we pray with understanding, we also say, Lord, take over. And you pray. I don't have to understand that language. You just pray through me. Offer myself, O oh Lord, as a vessel. So you need to realize we need to ask ourselves for that tongues. Okay, Paul may say, does everybody have it? No. Can everybody have it? Yes. Okay, everybody does not have it because they don't ask. They don't believe. They don't ask. But God says, it's up to you. So if you come to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, 12 and verse 10, I will pour out on the house, this is a prophetic, okay, house of David. Remember we are of the house of David. There is a physical and there is a spiritual. We are the house of David because we are born of the son of David. And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we are the inhabitants of the Jerusalem that is from above. They are the inherit inhabitants of the Jerusalem from below, which aligns with Hagar and Mount Sinai. We are from, remember Galatians chapter 4, okay? We are of Jerusalem, and church is called the Jerusalem. So we are of the house of David, and we are inhabitants of Jerusalem. And God says, on that house, I will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. So there is something called the spirit of supplication. Okay, supplication is how you pray. Okay, you bring all your requests before the God. You make supplication. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of supplication. Okay, so he's the spirit of prayer. He's the spirit of supplication. And God said, I will pour it upon my church. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so when God breathed upon them, the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ in the upper room, He was breathing upon them also the Spirit of supplication. Because the Holy Spirit has all this in them. That is why the Holy Spirit got them together, 120 of them, for 10 days. And all they did was pray. 
All they did was pray. Because prayers can change lives, families, nations. More than anything else that changes history has been prayer. So in James chapter 5 and verse 16, it is a call to prayer. Okay, don't forget the main thing that is talking about. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. He says pray for one another. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, we can also say all those who have breath, let them pray. Let them pray. And remember, the least in the kingdom of God has more righteousness imputed into him or her than Elijah. Because this is specifically also we'll see, talks about Elijah. Because he or she has the righteousness of Christ himself. So the Bible says, pray. Now, if you come to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4, okay, how do we pray? How do we pray? The words of Nehemiah, is is the sound okay? Okay, it's okay, no? Okay, it's not vibrating, right? The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chishlev, the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Again, remember Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now if you look at the entire context, you will definitely know. Quite a few people came back from Judah, from Jerusalem. There are a lot of Jews in Babylon. So definitely Nehemiah was not the only one who heard about Jerusalem. And the state of Jerusalem, the walls are down, the gates are burnt. Definitely lots of Jews in Jerusalem must have heard the news and passed the news, like we also do. Forward, 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 forward. But Nehemiah is the only one who prayed. He's the only one that prayed. He heard the news and the news became the burden in his heart. That's the question. We also hear 24-7 the TV's internet is blasting forth news. And the question is does those things that happen put a burden in our hearts? Is God able to lay a burden upon us? That man prayed. And when that man prayed what happened is God's hand moved. In Proverbs 21 and verse 1, uh, not, not, not 21, 1. The hand of the king is in the 23 one, yeah. No. I also got it wrong. Got it? Okay. It says, Anyone? Yeah. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the reverse of water. He turns it 
wherever he wishes. Okay? He says, the heart's, the king's heart is in my hand. Okay? And there is one man whose the burden is upon him. And he prays, he fasts and he prays. And he's the king's cupbearer. Meaning he's reached the pinnacle. You can't go higher than that. Imagine a Jew has risen to the highest, one of the highest positions in a Babylon court where the king actually trusts him with his life. Why should you bother about that old broken city? But that was the burden of God in his heart. He cried, he fasted, he wept. And God changed, touched the heart of the king. You know what happened. The rest is history. One man took the burden of God. See, the burden is there. But the question is, who will bear it? Who will take my burden? And we know, once he reaches in 52 days, what had been lying for ruins for years and years and years and years and years. 52 days. It was built. So, let everyone who has breath, let him praise. Let him pray. Because praise can bring walls down. We saw Jericho. But prayers can build walls up. There are certain walls that need to be brought down. There are certain walls that need to be built up. James chapter 5 verse 17 and 18 tells about Elijah. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. He prayed earnestly. He didn't just pray. He just prayed earnestly. His prayer was earnest. The question God is asking us is, is our prayer earnest? Is our prayer earnest? Or is it very casual? Scripture says he prayed earnestly. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Okay? He says, don't lose heart if you don't see the answer of your prayer. Because you do not know when God will answer. That's the first thing. Second, you don't know how God will answer. The how is sometimes more strange than the when. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not. And his time is not our time. We will say, how long? Lord God says, a thousand years is like a day. Lord, I waited for five years. He says, you have to wait for another 1,995 days. Then we would be shocked. How long? Lord God said, two days. And the third day I shall be perfected. Two days. But it's been more than two days. He says, I meant 2,000 years. So his ways, his thoughts, his timing, it doesn't fit in with our pattern at all. So here he says, men, that includes women too, okay? It's a generic term, men and women. Always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he gives them a parable. It's beautiful how he explains. If he hadn't taught in parables, how little we would have to preach today from the words of Jesus, right? The parable gives you layers and layers and layers of meaning. There was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. There was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, 
But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her, by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said? And shall God not avenge? The Avenge the word means vindicate. Okay, Vindicate or avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Meaning, do you think that that enduring faith will be there, which will keep on praying and never give up until that prayer is answered? Will he find that kind of faith? He who endures till the end shall be saved. So prayer offered in faith shall heal you, James will say. But a prayer also have to have that enduring faith factor in it. So if you look at verse 5 of that, you will see she has something that is enduring. She never gives up. She troubles me. This unjust judge finally decides to give her justice because he is weary. This woman never gives up. She comes over and over and over and over and over. She keeps coming. In verse 7, God says, the nature of prayer God appreciates. Verse 7, who cry out day and night to him. Day and night. Though he doesn't answer their prayer. They don't stop praying. Day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. In one way, only God compares himself to this judge. Though he's most unlike this judge. Because God is judge and God cares. This man is unjust and he doesn't care. Doesn't care. In First Peter, Verse 5, chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So we have a just God. We know he's just. We have a caring God. So God is saying, if an unjust judge, who doesn't care for God or man, no fear of God, doesn't care for man. Okay, But he answers this woman because of her persistence. How much more? Your God in heaven. So the question God asks is, how persistent are we in prayer? How persistent? How persistent are we? When do we become persistent? You see, there is There is a cause within quotes. That's why you see the crowds on the streets of US. What do they want? They all are kneeling on the streets. Kneeling on the streets. But my question is this in Matthew 6 and verse 6. But when you But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret place. Okay? My question is, do we take a knee in secret? The title of today's message is take a knee. That's what they're all asking, right? Take a knee. There is a cause. 
So take a knee that you are in support of the cause. But the greatest of all causes has been given to us. And God says, do you take a knee? There's no bigger cause than the kingdom of God. And that is the commission that has been given to us. And God says, does that cause cause you to bend your knees in prayer? That you shut yourself in the prayer closet before the Father? Because everything that is driving people, it's a cause. They're motivated by a cause and they believe it's a righteous cause. And the cost is righteous. The ways are not. The cost is. In First Samuel chapter 17, verse 29 and 30, a young man had been sent by his father to bring bread to his brothers and check out how they are. And he was mocked by his brothers. But when he saw Goliath coming and scoffing and mocking Israel, this was his reaction. To his brother's words. What I have done. Is there not a cause? He says. Is there not a cause? The name of our God is being mocked here. Is there not a cause? And he turned away. See when people realize. The kingdom of God as a cause. They will turn away from all those things. That keeps them busy here and there. Unless we see. This is the cause. And that burden has been placed. Okay, here is Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer to the greatest emperor on planet earth. Meaning he has got a very important, very busy schedule. Okay, but when he hears something about Jerusalem, you know what happens? He immediately turns his heart to that. He's fasting, he's praying, and he's weeping. Because he realizes that is a cause bigger than my life, or my career, or my position. And that's what that young man is saying. Young man, is there not a cause? And God, God is asking the church in the 21st century, isn't there a cause? Didn't I tell you, hallowed be my name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If nothing else, for all the new ones and the young ones and the older ones listening, if nothing else, if you can repeat these three things from your heart every day of your life, that's enough. Your prayer life. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will, Lord. I have just this prayer, nothing else. And I will tell you, everything else in your life will be added to. Because you have made the kingdom your cause. Made your cause. Nothing else. This is enough. Teach me to pray. This is enough. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's enough. And that, that, that becomes your war cry. You take a knee in your prayer closet and Lord, this is my prayer. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. So this widow wore out an unjust judge who cared neither for God nor man. And God says, you know what? You can never wear me out by your prayers. Never wear me out by your prayers. In Isaiah 62 verse 1, God says to all the 21st century new covenant watchmen and watchwomen, for Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. 
and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. Now we don't think about Zion here, we think about the heavenly, the real one. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and a salvation as a lamp that burns. Okay? You have to see in your mind size, Revelation 21. I saw the bright descending city Jerusalem and she was glowing with God's glory. Okay, that you have to see. And it is the glory of God's righteousness manifesting through her. Okay, and he says, and her salvation as a lamb that burns. I will not hold my peace, God says. He says, I'm zealous for Zion. I'm jealous for Jerusalem. And I'm looking on earth for those who are jealous for the same thing. My kingdom, my name, my will. Remember the bride and the spirit say, come, they have become one. Now look at verse 2. Oh. Give me a second. The Gentiles shall see your glory. Yes, that is there. And uh, there is the other one also. Shall come back to that later, okay? Uh, where uh, you cannot weary me out. Where, 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 where? That God says, no? You cannot weary me out. I will not hold my peace for Jerusalem's sake. Do you remember that? Got it? Hmm? Yeah. I know. He says, there's another portion, okay, there's another portion where he will say, uh, you, you, you can pray and uh, you will not weary me out. Okay. Okay. It's okay. We, we, we will not get distracted. Okay. We will not get distracted. Okay. And, uh, go to verse two. Yeah. Gentiles shall see your righteousness. All your kings, your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. We need to realize this is our ultimate destiny of the church. This is the ultimate destiny of the church. And until that happens, the church, the church cannot rest. The church cannot rest because this is the destiny of the church. We have to leave aside what you call it, all these, uh, all these, uh, what you call it, uh, yeah, 62, now, uh, 6 and 7, 2, yes, 6 and 7, 2. I knew it was 62. 6 and 7, 2. Okay, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. What was the woman? God talking about his people in Luke 18. They cry out to him day and night. What do the actual prayer pe- praying people do, the watchmen do? They never shall hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. 
give him no rest. That widow gave the judge no rest. She wearied him. He said, okay, I will vindicate. And God says, give me no rest in your prayer life. That's your job. Okay? You may not see, but don't worry. Your job is to pray, to pray, to pray until the righteousness of God is established. God says, give me no rest until his kingdom is established on earth. So what you see is, actually what you see on the streets (laughs) is you have, uh, see, one thing young people have which older people do not have is they have a lot of energy. Lot of energy. So this cause also was because they were shut down for 60 days. (laughs) So they were just like calves released from the stalls. Just onto the streets, like in Florida, when the restrictions were taken out a little. You have saw them all on the beach. Crazy, going crazy. Now they went crazy on the streets. Okay? And the enemy knows. They always will use that energy and direct it towards a cause. So always you will see young people are fighting for a cause, some cause, because they have energy. Yet the church has never capped into this energy and channeled it for the righteousness of the kingdom in prayer. The church has never channeled this energy. We waste the energy, the basically life energy that God has given us. And we entertain the crowds in the church. That's what happened. As you will see in the first church, there was no entertainment. It's all prayer. They took that same energy and focused it on spiritual things. Because they have energy. They have energy. And God says, why don't you take that energy and put it? So that's why Paul will say, um, physical training is good. Wasting a lot of energy, pumping iron. But spiritual exercise will last you through eternity. You can pour your energy into spiritual things. And the church is wasting the energy of its people. And God says, get into your prayer closet. In First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, of all the prayer Verses in the Bible, this is the most interesting. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. He never says, preach without ceasing. He never says, sleep without ceasing. He never says, eat without ceasing. He never says, play without ceasing. He never says, anything without this ceasing. He says, one thing without ceasing. He says, you know what? Pray without ceasing. Ten days they prayed without ceasing, the first church. And on the eleventh day, they proclaimed the gospel. Right? In Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. Shall not God avenge his own elect, meaning vindicate, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them or vindicate the cause, the righteousness of your cause, he says. That's what all the young people are on the streets. They want justice. They want a righteous society. God says, you really want? You really want? Get into your prayer closets. You really want justice? 
is when really, really justice comes on earth, it will be because there was a set of people who never ceased praying. They never ceased knocking on the doors of the judge of all flesh. And one day, speedily, in the twinkling of an eye, righteousness, there will be no racial division there. There will be no cry for any of these things. Because there will be a reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years of perfect justice. Okay. So over and over and over, God says there are certain prayers you have to keep praying. Until it happens. You have to keep. And in this case, in Matthew 6, sorry, Matthew 6 and verse 7, Jesus said, if you look at it, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions or babblings as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many. But this woman was coming over and over and over with the same words. But it was not vain repetition. You can repeat the same thing and it cannot be vain as long you are empowered by your cause. Then it is not vain. It's not a vain. She was moved by a cause. She was under justice. Vindicate me. Vindicate me. Vindicate me. You know, and our cry of vindication should not be, Lord, I am having this trouble, I am having this problem. No. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. And thy name be hallowed. When that becomes our life, we are vindicated. Because our life is now aligned with his life. We don't have an agenda separate from him. Most of our prayers are separate from him because it's our agenda. So it becomes vain babblings, but not this ladies. So the question is, how do you know that you and I are not babbling when we pray over and over the same prayer? Because of the cause, the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The second thing he says, like Nehemiah, are you moved by the cause? Are you moved by the cause? Nehemiah, why should you be bothered? You are settled. You are settled and you are a eunuch. <laughs> you don't even have a family. A lot of people have a very zealous cause. It's for their children's sake. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I will pursue righteousness for all the days of my life. Why? Because it's a good thing. You know why? There's something I can do by pursuing righteousness. I've never seen the righteous beg, nor their nor their children, or their grandchildren. You know what I can live for my children and their grandchildren if Jesus Christ does delays to come? They will never beg bread. Because I pursued righteousness. I can leave a legacy for them. They will not beg bread. They will not lack. So it's a good cause to pursue righteousness for your children, for your grandchildren. But there's something bigger than that. It is the kingdom. It's the kingdom. This is an add-on benefit for your generations. Okay? You have to look at those verses and you say, Lord, I believe. I believe. My kids may be struggling with their faith. They may be struggling in their prayer life. They may be struggling. They may not want to go. But one thing I know, Lord, all the days of their life, they will have bread. You know why? Because I will pursue your righteousness. I will do what they may not be able to do for their sake. That's how you leave an inheritance for them. More than a spiritual, physical, a spiritual. Okay. So you are moved by a cause. Because this prayer is coming from deep within, from your spirit. 
And the Bible, Jesus speaks this in Matthew 11, verse 12, has violence. What we saw on the streets was physical violence. But he says, my people are not physically violent. They're the most gentle of people. But in the kingdom of God and the powers of darkness, you are seen differently from the days of John the Baptist. Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent take it by force. What does that tell you about John the Baptist? He was a praying man. He was a praying. Because if he had to cut through 4,000 centuries of darkness to make the way for the Son of Man, he had to pray his way through. He was a praying man. But outwardly, you look at him, he was a very gentle man. Who didn't hurt anybody physically? Who didn't hurt anybody? But when he prayed, and when he proclaimed, it was spiritual violence. That's what God is talking about. This used to be used, this illustration. He says, you, your life should be like a duck swimming in the water. If you see the duck, it's so gentle. It seems to be moving effortlessly. But if you take a picture from underneath the water, its feet are battling like crazy. That's what you should be. That's what Jesus, absolutely gentle. But his prayer life was violent. A violent, because he was moved by a cause. What you see on the streets is the opposite. Violence on the streets. But what you see in the kingdom of God is opposite. We are gentle on the streets. Gentle with people. A smoking flax he will not put off. A bruised reed he will not but if you had heard him pray in the mornings, you will say, wow, I didn't know he was such an emotional person. With vehement cries and tears. Oh, in prayer closet, he was a warrior. Okay, we are like wimps in our prayer closet and warriors outside. Okay. God says it is in the prayer closet. You are men and women of violence. That's when in the spiritual realm, the armies of God joins with men and women on earth of prayer. And the devil is terrified of people like that. Then the kingdom of God is established. Because remember, the kingdom of God is based on righteousness. And righteousness is a facet of God's character. He will never go against his righteousness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, this is the first, first words God speaks recorded over man. The first words God speaks over man is this. Recorded. In order, Genesis chapter 1. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. What did he say? I give you authority. It's yours. Now once he has given, he will not back off. God is not somebody who says, yea today and nay tomorrow. He doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Please understand that. That's how God's kingdom works. He's given it over to us. He says, I gave it to you. You gave it to the devil, that's your problem. The devil is not the rightful honor. He usurped it from you. It is still yours. He deceives you. He fools you. He's not the rightful honor. He's not the rightful sovereign. You are. 
So in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, he says, my eyes are always ranging back and forth, looking for what? I sought for one man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. He said, I'm always looking for one man or one woman who would stand in the gap and exercise dominion in prayer. Take back your rightful authority as man. Always looking for one person. Just one person. Who will align his heart with the heart of God. His will with the will of God. And his cause with the cause of God. And the battle is immediately joined. So there is hundreds and thousands of Israelites on one side. Hundreds and thousands of Philistines on one side. And everybody is petrified. One young boy comes and says, is there not a cause? God's ears spoke up. He says, one boy, ready to stand in the gap. God says, go boy, go boy, I'm with you. And when he goes, that's exactly what he says. You come against me with the spear, the sword, the javelin. I come against you in the name of Jehovah. All he did was one boy, one man. And on that battlefield, on that, that he exercised God's dominion. Exercised God. All these physical pictures are given us in the Old Testament to know what actually happens in the spiritual realm when we pray. We pray. Tuesday we saw in Second Chronicles 20, 22, when a man hears in prayer and obeys God in praise, how God joins the battle. Now when they begin to sing and to praise, the Lord said, ambush us. So what is happening is battle is joined. Here is realm 3, sorry, realm 1. Here is realm two and here is realm three. What happens is when you have a set of people who join spiritually, God also, and he crushes realm two. Once realm two is crushed, those who are empowered by them on realm one is also crushed. They are defeated. Because that is what he says, you don't realize. Half the world is deceived thinking the devil is a filling in the sandwich. Without realizing you are meant to crush him in between. That's what you're supposed to do it. Instead, the world is sitting and enjoying him and he is fooling you all the way to the bank. You know? Just that's not what you're supposed to do. You know? You on earth, I in heaven. We come together every time I will crush him. But my way, you have to align you. I will not because I gave it to you. Supernaturally, I will intervene time to time. But if you look at it, so you will see he says, I know one thing about you. You don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. God says, no, I don't. I don't. I don't do that. I don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Verse 32, we have an entire argument, not sorry, bargaining going on between the two of them in verse 32. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I'll speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Ten is God's number. It's order. He says, if there are ten righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not. Why did God have to destroy the entire world in Noah's time? Because there were only eight. Two less. If you want to look at numbers. Two less. Once the church is taken away, and the judgment of God Hordes upon this world. What does that mean? There's nobody left. Righteous. Okay. So please remember this. We have an adversary. 
And the only people he really, really prays is afraid of. James chapter 5, 16b, the second part. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. The only people he's afraid of are praying people. He's not afraid of anybody else. So consistently cries out to God, Lord, vindicate your name. It's not my name. It's not vindicate my name. It's vindicate your name. Thy name. Lord, your name is holy. Lord, your name is righteous. Lord, your name. I believe that's how Noah was praying. <laughs> Lord, your name is righteous. Lord, your name is holy. Lord, Lord, don't you see what he says? I see. So what's the solution? Build an ark. I will vindicate my name. Build an ark. So God tells, I will vindicate my name. Build a church. A church that's according to my name. A church that is holy. A church that is righteous. A church that can come through my judgment. I'll vindicate my name. Through you. So, devil is not afraid of people. He's afraid of people who pray. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And immediately you see it's talking about Elijah. And you will see Elijah's heart is about vindicating God's name. And his final prayer on Mount Carmel is, Lord, you know I have done all this. I have done this so that you may turn the hearts of the people back to you. It is not about me. It's about you. It's about you. I'm not building Elijah ministry here. I'm lifting up the name of Yahweh. And I will prove in the in the midst of all the people of Israel and all the prophets of Baal and I will give them the whole day. Call upon the name of your gods and see what they can do. And at the end, when you are finished and tired, I will call upon the name of my God and we will see whose name is vindicated here. Hallowed be thy name. A people who pray, a people whose hearts are aligned because we all pray for all our situations and our hopes. Let's pray. That's good. Country, But that's not... That's not the cause. That will cause us to go back and back and back and back and back. It's when our will is joined with God's will for His name. In Acts chapter 16, verse 24 and 26, 24 to 26. Having received such a charge, He put them in the inner prison. Two days back I said, yeah, inner prison. In the middle, God strategically even picks our place where we should be imprisoned. Where he places us, when you surrender your will to God's will, you are divinely positioned by God in certain places so that you will have maximum effect. Your testimony has maximum effect. So you have to look at your life that way. Lord, I have surrendered my life into your hands. And I don't even like the place where I am in, but I know this is where I need to be because you have positioned me. Paul and silence are not put into an outward cell, some in the corner. They are put in the innermost, central area. And scripture says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. What is happening? Two people have come in there and they are praying and they are praising. And the Bible says in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. That's exactly that will happen. On the day when Jesus lands on planet earth and the, temp- the 
the mountain is broken into two and the whole world will shake. It's because there was a set of people for years and years and years who were praying and who were praising and the foundations of this world will be shaken because speedily he will answer their cry, Lord, vindicate us from this adversary who is accusing us before you day and night and God says, I will hear your prayer and my name shall be hallowed. I will answer your prayer. That's the prayer of the church. That's the zeal of the church. That was the zeal of Jesus Christ when he went into the temple in John chapter. You will see, he says, they remembered zeal for his father's house and his my house shall be called a place of prayer. House of prayer. And that's what the woman is crying. Vindicate me. Verse 5 and 6 of Luke 18. Hear what the unjust judge says. Because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. I will vindicate her cause. The Lord says, hear what the unjust judge says. Do you listen to him? He says, if an unjust Judge can be wearied by repeated prayers to vindicate a widow. Jesus is saying in other other ways, how much more will I for the bride of my son? You need an adversary. We have an adversary. Unless we see our adversary, we cannot be provoked to pray like this. First Samuel chapter 1, 6 and 7. First Samuel. Physical pictures in the Bible. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah had an adversary. It was her co-sister-in-law. <laughs> her husband's other wife. Her husband had two wives. And Hannah's womb was closed. Every year she went to Shiloh and she cried and she cried and she cried and she cried. Not like normal women who did not have a baby. There were many women in Israel. Definitely has to be. Go by statistics. Definitely has to be. But they also went. But they never cried like Hannah. Because they did not have an adversary. Their husband had only one wife. Rachel was provoked. And she said, give me a child or I will die. And he scratched his head and said, what can I do? Am I God? But I can give you a child. Hannah had an adversary. That caused her, that provoked her in that one area. What is that? She's having child after child after child. I have no children. And she's mocking me, scoffing me. Okay. Mocking her, scoffing her, mocking her, scoffing her. Here, it is different. It's the same pattern is being played over there. Jacob loves Rachel. Benina loves Hannah. Uh, Elkanah, right? Elkanah loves Hannah. But Leah is the one bearing, 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 bearing. Here also, the other one is bearing, 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 bearing. You have to look at it. Sometimes like that. No? Lord, I am the one... Who's in the church? Lord, I am the one who's preaching. Lord, I am the one who's praising. Lord, I am the one who's praying. But that other fellow is prospering, 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 prospering. Lord, why? Lord God said, I'm prospering him to provoke you. 
He has no plan or purpose in my life, in my kingdom. You have. You have. I see your cries. I see your tears. But you are being provoked by him in your cry and tears. Your will has not yet been joined with my will. I will wait until it becomes one. Then I will hear you. You are not like him. You have a different plan and a purpose in my kingdom. Verses 9 and 10. Hannah arose early after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of, the, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Did you see? It was out of anguish she was crying and weeping. Saul, uh, Samuel was born out of the fervent, effective prayer of a mother. So he became a praying kid and a praying man. She transferred that into Samuel. And Samuel will use it for the kingdom. Hannah was persistent. Therefore, you will see Samuel also will become persistent in prayer. It was by her persistent, continual coming to the judge that caused the judge to change his attitude. An unjust judge. But our God is not unjust. On the other hand, when we come over and over and over into a play closer to the just judge, just judge, we are changing. We are changing. We think God is changing. God says, no, I'm not changing. I always had this for you. But I was waiting for you to change. You to change. Look at First uh, Samuel 1, 3. And then one eleven. This man went up from his city early to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Every over and over and over and over he went to Shiloh. And over and over with him went Hannah. Every year he went over. And Hannah's prayer was always the same. Crying and weeping, crying and weeping, crying and weeping, provoked by her adversary. I didn't answer her. Was God planning always to answer her? Yes. Why didn't he answer her? Because his will had not become her will. When it will become, it will be one of those years when she went. Verse 11, his will becomes her will. And her prayer changes. She had never prayed this way all this year. This time she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come up upon his head. He just had answered. I always wanted to give you a kid, but you were different. I saw your prayer life. You had a prayer life. The problem is, he says, most people, when I look down, they don't have a prayer life. So I'm looking for somebody who has a prayer life, who has been provoked by the adversary and all the negative circumstances in their life and they're coming here and crying, Lord, vindicate me, vindicate me, vindicate me, vindicate me, vindicate me, vindicate me. I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. Okay, are you persistent? Do you, have you, have you, in your, in your life, are you practicing the discipline of prayer? And once the discipline of prayer has been set in, I'm waiting for your will to be aligned with my will. One day you say, Lord, I've been crying all these years, oh Lord. Let your will be done in my life, he says, answered. Answered. I was waiting for that day. I was waiting for that day. My will. 
Finally, I got it out of your mouth, Hannah. Give me a child. I'll give the child back to you. God said, deal done. This is what I am waiting for. One man, one woman, whose will is aligned to my will. And everything changes. Everything changes. This is something which we need to understand. Because a lot of people go to the prayer closet, they pray, and they pray, and they come back discouraged, depressed, and they say, you know, what's the point? I've been praying all these years, God never answered your prayer. My prayer. People give up praying. But we don't understand the very purpose of the prayer was not for our prayers to be answered. The very purpose of the prayer clauses was to change us. The prayer clause changes us. It's not the prayer clause that changes God. A lot of people go out of the prayer closet unchanged because they are struggling to change God and have their will done with God's power. And God says, son, that has never happened. And if it happens, it's bad for you. The whole purpose of the prayer closet was to change us. And Hannah changed in the prayer closet. She said, Lord, give me your son. And I promise you, I will hand him over to you. And I also will tell you, Lord, he will be a Nazarite. All the days of his life. And God said, prayer answered. And God says, when you go into your prayer closets, do you change? Does the prayer closet change you? That's how you have to read Second Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yes, Lord, my knees hurt. To the point now I tell my wife, sit down and pray. Sit down, lie down, lean back and pray. Don't kneel and pray. Don't hurt your knees anymore. Don't let you get your knees locked, locked up anymore. God can hear. He knows your heart. Even when you're sitting in your bed, He knows you are kneeling. You're not kneeling because your knees are starting to hurt so much. Okay? Don't worry about it. Okay? We do not lose heart. Lord, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I have poured out my life, Lord. I have fasted. I have lost weight. I have lost three kilos. I have lost four kilos. I have seen answer to none of those things, Lord. But I know something. Inside, I am changing. Outside, I am. People will say, what did you gain in your life? What do you have to show? Well, you can't get inside and see what I am inside. You can only see my outside. Right? You can only see my outside. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So new covenant prayer life. Trace life, proclamation life. You see nothing. You see nothing. Some people are just locked themselves and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. They come out emaciated. <laughs> Once in a while they come out and they go back. They see nothing. What did you see? What did you gain? One day with a thunderous clap for the last trumpet, when he steps down, everybody will see, oh my gosh, these are the sons and daughters of God who were groaning. And the Spirit was groaning through them and they have brought the kingdom of God down to earth. Outwardly we are perishing. We have nothing to show. We have nothing to show. Inwardly, God says it's a completely different story inwardly. Unless we see the kingdom of God that way, 
That's a love audition church. Inwardly they have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Look at. Look at our church. Look at our system. Look at our crowds. Look at our offering. I was, before in the, while I was shaving, I was listening to one of David Wilkerson's old messages. I'll post it in the evening on the group. Beautiful message. He was saying, look at Peter's final words. So no, love covers a multitude of sons, love each other fervently. He says, final words of Peter to the church is that in the last days, how we escape the last days and the trials that will come through the last days is by building a church that loves. He says, today people have, you have, God has a people who loves their building. <laughs> loves their building. But God is building a people that loves. Not people who love a building. Because always will they say, come and see our church. Have you seen the building? That is love issue. Have you seen? We lack nothing. God says, you are empty. You are wretched. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. My gosh, what indictment. God is not vindicating them. God is indicting them. God says, don't you realize? Outwardly, you are prospering. Inwardly, you are dead. Here is the other case. Outwardly, you are perishing. Inwardly, you are Renew. That's the, that's Paul's final words. Outwardly, my whole life is poured out, gone. <laughs> Inwardly, I see, I see, I see. This is what God is saying. Our prayer life is not supposed to change God. <laughs> Our prayer life is supposed to change us. Can you imagine? I say I must have been praying and praying and praying and praying and. Praying and praying and going. Go to the temple, pray. Pray, 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 pray. And we across it. Pray, 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 pray. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, he has a different. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He suddenly has a revelation in his prayer closet. He has a revelation. He sees God. He sees God. And verse 7 and 8. What happens? He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. I sent me. Now let me ask you this question. His prayer clause has changed God or changed Isaiah? Changed Isaiah. How many times you must have gone? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. One day what happened? He changed. He changed. And then he becomes the prophet to the nations. He's the guy who prophesies most about Jesus Christ. Most of the things of the Old Testament we learn about Jesus, we learn from him. No. He didn't change. Sorry, God didn't change. He changed. Is it working? Okay. And we don't, we don't realize, we don't realize that it is when we change, our will changes, our purpose changes, 
and we align with the will and the purpose of God, we bring God glory. God is glorified in us. That's when God is glorified in us. Are we getting the purpose of the prayer closet? Let me put a couple of examples before we close. What if? Physical examples. Like, no, we all like glory on earth, right? We all love it. Our glory on earth doesn't bring God any glory. Okay? Like, you know, when you go to college after your class 10 and you go to college, I remember the, when I went to college, sitting in the class. And when you go to college, you're not from your own school. You come from different schools. It's big. You know, different schools come. Whatever subjects you are there, at the end of the day, it's English that matters in the sense for bhav. Not for anything else in life, but for like, no, glory, it is always English because we have that colonial hangover, not still over there, no, reverse racism, okay, like, oh, we are good in the white man's language, no, white man's language, okay, that's when my child in New York passed and got that summa cum laude or whatever in English, I was a little tickled like an Indian kid, uh, did better than the white kids in their language. If, if, a little reverse racist streak shows. No? It's okay. But here with all the Indian kids in the class. So the prof comes in and you know, first this thing he will say, okay, everybody between 50 and 60, get up. So one whole good set up. He says, okay, good. Everybody between 60 and 70, get up. Everybody gets up. Okay. Everybody between 70 and 80, gets up. Everybody gets up. Everybody between 80 and 90 get up. Everybody gets up. Okay, well, those who have. Everybody between 90 and 95 gets up and he stops. And I, like a good student, is sitting in the front. And he suddenly looks up and looks at me and says, you didn't get up. So I said, yeah, what's your mark? I said, sir, I topped in the state. I'm 96. Glory, no? Glory. No? Need to now, fast forward that to many years, okay? Another seven, eight, nine years, no. Ten plus three plus two, uh, um, two plus three plus two, PG, over. Now I am teaching. Now if you ask me, I had 200 students, okay? Now this is 31 years ago, or 30 years ago. 1989. So that is 30 years ago, 31 years ago. If you look, ask me of the 200 students, I still know two names. And I can just tell it like that. Sonam Karmashering and Sushma Rai. You know why? Because my two students topped the state in English. So now it's my glory. Now it's my rift glory. My kids did. It's my glory, okay? Well, immediately all of our education department, all the others, oh, these two kids, who is the English teacher there? They will ask, who is the English with two kids from the same class topped? We are using physical example to show how it works in the kingdom of God. Job 1.8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You know how God gets glory? Have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And do you know what secret you learned from 
Job's life, from chapter 1, he's a praying man. In his prayers, he didn't change God. God changed him. How did he become a blameless and an upright man? He was not born like that. He became like that in his prayer closet. This is what the prayer closet does. And the devil is scared of people who understand what the prayer closet does. He says, if this man or woman continually, persistently keeps on praying and his will gets aligned or her will gets aligned to the kingdom of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, the name of God, then the foundations will be shaken. Because God is always looking for one man. One. It's at least one man. I can align with that one man and bring my purposes to plan. And God says, you know what? That's my glory. That man on earth is able to point out to the adversary who accuses man day and night, who goes back and forth looking for whom to devour. He says, how many did you devour today? He says, maybe around 10,000. Did you check that man out? You can't devour him. Cannot devour him. Because that man has been defined in the prayer closet. That man reflects my glory on earth. We turn to chapter 2 and verse 3, which is even more interesting. Now he's lost everything. All is gone. And again, Satan came back. He's taken his children, he's taken his wealth, he's taken his servant, burned down everything. Everything is gone. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth? The testimony hasn't changed. In the greatest, darkest hour of his life, his testimony before God hasn't changed. God is still saying, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God, shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. What words? What words? I loved you for a season. I gave him into your hands. There was no cause. There was no cause. But I allowed you to touch everything that he owned and his children, everything. All are gone. But did you see? Did you see him? This is God's greatest glory we can bring. That's what Paul is saying. Outwardly, I am perishing. <laughs> People will say, what a waste of your life. What happened to your ministry? All of Asia turned their back to you, right? We saw you going storm and shipwreck and famine and fasting and prayer and tears. What happened to your church? They left you, no? You're lying in prison in chains, no? He says, outwardly, yes. Inwardly, it's a different matter. I know. Whatever is happening in my life is exactly according to the will of God. That even these chains have been used by God for the furtherance of his gospel. He says even the chains, these chains have a part now in the kingdom of God expanding. That everything that I touch, everything that I touch has become part of the kingdom. The Romans come and shackle me. Now those shackles have become part of the power of the kingdom for the expansion of the gospel. They can do nothing to me. With whatever they touch me, it expands the kingdom of God even more. You know why? Because I don't have a will separate from God's will. I don't have a cause other than the cause of God. I don't have a life apart from God. So God says, you know what? The prayer closet, everything that has breath, let them pray. Everybody did them take a knee. 
Let everyone who has breath take a knee and say, Lord, it is not by marching on the streets that nations have been changed. It's by kneeling in the prayer closet nations have been changed. And you're still looking for men and women who will get into the prayer closet and pray and not give up. Jesus said, this is one thing I have to tell you. Pray and do not give up. Because you do not know. God's timing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. We know Abraham. We know about Abraham. We have so many things we know about Abraham. We talk about Abraham, 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 Abraham. But do you know when God speaks about Abraham? What he says, when God speaks of Abraham to somebody else, that is 24 and 27, Genesis 27, God speaks the first time about Abraham to another man. Do you know what he says? Genesis 27, 20 verse 7. Genesis 20. You know, this is God's testimony to man about his servant Abraham. Therefore, restore the man's wife for he say, when he is a man who proclaims my word. And he will, he's a man who prays. This is God's testimony about Abraham to another man. Do you know? You may think he's an ordinary man. You may think he's, okay, he's a prosperous cattle man, but he's not bigger than any one of us. I can take his wife if I want. He says, you don't know who that man is. Do you know who that man is? He's a man who's got my word on his lips. He's my prophet. And he's a man who prays. And when he prays, I can open all the wombs in your household that has been shed. Your barrenness will change when that man prays. Because when he prays, I hear. Do you know who that man is? This is no Texas rancher. This is a man who has been defined by his prayer closet. He knows me. And I know him. He has no will or purpose outside of me now. That's how what he's known as. Right? That's what he's known as. And on the first time in adulthood, when we are revealed about Isaac in chapter 24 and verse 63, when Isaac is revealed to us, Isaac went to? We've seen him as a praying man. It's a man who prays. He's got a discipline. You look at all these people, they have a discipline of prayer. He's a praying man. This is a man who prays. This is a man who bends his knee at, in his tent before me. And he has consistently, he's not even married. He's a bachelor. In our life, he's like Peter and Sammy and Dr. Richard and all. He's a young bachelor. He's not married. But he's already a praying man. So what happens? He gets married. And when he gets married, his wife is barren. He marries at 40. And scripture will simply put one line. Abraham prayed to God about his wife, Rebecca. And God answered. Isaac, not Abraham, Isaac. And God heard his prayer. But he got married at 40 and God heard it at 60. 20 years he prayed. Persistent. Lord, I'm not going to give up on this. Because I know there is a promise. And that promise is connected with a child. And I know, therefore, you will answer. So I'm going to knock on the gates of heaven. And I'm not going to give up. And I want to pray. And How long will you pray, Isaac? Until it happens. It's 20 years. So we have to realize, your and my time in the prayer closet is never wasted. Either your situation is changing, or you are changing. Or both are changing.
The situation is changing and you are changed. So God says, take a knee, occupy your prayer closet. And that is how you occupy till I come. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, we just come to you, Lord. We understand. Occupy in praise. We are called to occupy in proclamation. But we cannot do either of this until we have occupied in prayer. Because the men and women who take a knee in their prayer closet, who bend their knee before God, will never have to bend their knee before any man. Because they will know who God is. And they will also know who they are in God. And I pray, Father, as this lockdown continues around the world, He will raise up praying men, women and children. Men, women and children. Praying men and women whose will will be aligned to your will. Who like David will have no other cause but the name of our God. That we will come out of our prayer closets truly, truly transformed, knowing and believing the only thing that matters is your name, your will and your kingdom. And one day when that manifestation takes place in the physical realm, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our inside man will be revealed. That's when what we are within will also become part of that which is will become the kingdom of God without. It will be one. And then we can glory in God even as God glories in us. Then we will also hear from our God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I pray, Father, changes in our prayer closet. Let everyone who has breath take a knee and pray. And pray for thy kingdom to come down in all its glory, power, in righteousness and in holiness. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. To that end, we commit ourselves and the church. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.